Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi Leon Morris on Parashat Devarim. Dive deep with nine days of curated Tisha B'Av theme podcasts presented by Pardes North America from the Pardes Archives in memory of Pardes students Marla Bennett, Ben Blutstein, Sarah Duker, and Matt Eisenfeld. Zichronam Livracha. Be sure to access all nine of these podcasts as we prepare for Tisha B'Av together by visiting www.pardes.org.il forward slash nine nine. And now, here is Rabbi Leon Morris. There is something notably different about the book of Deuteronomy, Devarim, that we begin this week. The book is composed of three extended discourses or speeches that Moses gives before his death and just prior to the children of Israel entering the land of Israel after a 40-year journey. It is, in a certain way, Moses' retelling of the Torah. In Sefer Devarim, in the book of Deuteronomy, we re-encounter many of the stories and laws which we have already seen in the earlier books of the Torah. For this reason, the rabbinic term for Sefer Devarim is Mishneh Torah, the second Torah or the retelling of the Torah, the term, of course, borrowed to apply to Maimonides' Yad Chazakah, his code of Jewish law. Micha Goodman writes in his book, Moses' Final Address, up until the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is a hero of the Torah. In the final book, he becomes a narrator. Goodman goes on to write, the stories that are retold in Moses' final address are not identical to the original versions. There are fundamental differences, some quite significant, between the versions that appear in the book of Deuteronomy and the versions that appear in the previous books. The human reconstruction of the divine Torah refashions this text and interprets it anew. The last book of the Torah is also the first commentary on it. I would say that the last book of the Torah is, in fact, the Torah's first translation. Usually, when we speak about the history of translating the Torah, we think back to the 3rd century BCE, to the Septuagint, the translation of the Torah into Greek by 70 or 72 Jewish scholars uh, and this was a project of the Greek king, Ptolemy, in order to have a copy of the Torah in his monumental library in Alexandria. Uh, one of the earliest sources we have about this translation is the Greek letter of Aristeus, uh, dating to the 2nd century BCE. But within rabbinic texts, Chazal, the rabbis, have a somewhat ambivalent relationship toward this history of translating the Torah into Greek. There is a controversy within rabbinic sources. So, for instance, on the one hand, we have sources that suggest a kind of divine imprimatur, God's stamp of approval on this translation. Uh, one such account we read in Masechet Megillah. King Ptolemy once gathered 72 elders, and he placed them in 72 separate chambers, and each of them, uh, in his own chamber without revealing to them why they were summoned. 
And he, King Ptolemy, entered each one's room and said to them, Write for me the Torah of Moshe, your teacher. God put it in the heart of each one to translate identically as all the others did. And the Talmud goes on to show the the list of uh, not obvious translations, uh, particular words that were all translated in the same way by each of those 72 elders. On the other side of the uh, spectrum of rabbinic opinion are statements such as this one found in Masechet Sofrim, uh, which is relating to an earlier translation of the Torah by five scholars, but addresses the broader issue of translating the Torah, stating that day that the Torah was translated into Greek was as intolerable for Israel as the day the golden calf was made, for the Torah cannot be translated adequately. Here is the ambivalence about translation, about rendering the words and ideas of Torah in other languages. So for the past 2,500 years, translation has been fraught with danger and with very strong reactions. And yet, one could argue that the earlier translation of the Torah is Sefer Devarim, is the book of Deuteronomy itself. The name Deuteronomy, Deuteronomos, is based on the Septuagint, meaning second law, retelling in Moses' words the laws and teachings presented earlier. When Chazal, the rabbis, reflect on the different character of Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, they repeatedly come to associate it with the translation of the Torah into Greek many centuries later. They, the rabbis, see the parallels between Moses' three discourses and his presentation of Torah into new language and the later project of rendering the Torah in Greek. One of the most beautiful midrashim that treats this parallelism between Sefer Devarim and later translations of the Torah into Greek can be found at the beginning of a collection of midrashim called Devarim Rabbah. Devarim Rabbah was probably edited in, in the 8th or 9th century, and uh, part of what it contains are a series of uh, a form of Midrash called Petichtaot. Many of these Petichtaot are much older uh, and were incorporated into the collection of Devarim Rabbah. Now, many scholars, uh, including my teacher Mark Bregman, describe these Petichtaot as uh, condensed versions of ancient sermons given in the synagogues of Eretz Yisrael. Uh, Professor Bregman called them a freeze-dried coffee version of a longer drasha, a longer sermon. Uh, the way that it worked was the... Uh, the darshan, the person giving this sermon, who would be giving it before the reading of the Torah, would ask rhetorically a Jewish legal question, a halachic question, and would have everyone on the edge of their seats thinking, how in the world is this 
halachic question, seemingly from left field. How is it possibly going to be used to illustrate the opening line of this week's Torah portion? Now, their parshiot, their uh, Torah portions were different from what we use today. Uh, there was a different system in Eretz Israel than in Babylonia, and their Torah reading cycle was a three-and-a-half-year cycle, so each parasha, each sedra, was much shorter. But this rhetorical device uh, was bequested to us in these beautiful midrashim. I first studied Devarim Rabbah, and this particular petichta, which I'm going to study with you, I studied it first here at Pardes 22 years ago with our masterful teacher, Baruch Feldstern, who taught at Pardes for decades. His teaching inspired me to delve into these ancient sermons further, and it became the subject of my rabbinical thesis at Hebrew Union College the next year. I want to study this opening petichta of Devarim Rabbah with you now as a way of unpacking this idea that Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, is the first translation of the Torah. So here's how Devarim Rabbah begins. Halacha, Adam mi Yisrael, mahu mutarlo lichtov Sefer Torah b'cholashon. According to Halacha, according to Jewish law, is it permissible for one to write a Torah scroll in any language? Uh, here's the question from left field. The ancient synagogue are, uh, they, the folks in the ancient synagogue are at the edges of their seat thinking, how in the world is this Darshan, this preacher, going to connect that halachic question to the opening verse of Parashat Devarim and Sefer Devarim? And then the Midrash uh, continues, Kach shanu chachamim, thus taught our sages. And here it's going to quote the Mishnah from Masechet Megillah. Ein bein sfarim litfilin umizuzot, ela shahasfarim nichtavim b'chol lashon. Rabban Gamliel omer, af hasfarim lo hitiru shichtavu ela yevanit. So here's what the Mishnah said. There is no difference between scrolls Tefillin or mezuzot, except for the fact that scrolls may be written in any language. Rabban Gamliel said, even regarding scrolls, they only permitted them to be written in Greek, meaning the only non-Hebrew language, according to Rabban Gamliel, that the Torah would be permitted to be written in, or that scrolls would be permitted to be written in, uh, is Greek. And then the Midrash wants to ask, well, what's the reason that Rabban Gamliel said that it's permissible to write a Torah scroll in Greek? And uh, it quotes uh, Bar Kapara, who takes the verse from uh, the blessing of uh, Noah's sons and applies it here from uh, Genesis chapter 9, Breshit Tet. Yaft Elohim la Yefet. That may God enlarge Japhet and let him dwells in the tent of Shem. Here's Bar Kapara's interpretation that the words of Shem will be spoken in the language of Japhet. Thus, they permitted them to be written in Greek. So um, here, too, on the issue of translation, we have here in the Midrash, 
and in the uh, condensed version of this ancient sermon, this notion that it's part of the order of the universe, that from the time of Noah, from the time of the receding of the waters of the flood, it was already determined that Yafet, who is the father of Greece, the father of, uh, of Europe and the, uh, and the father of Greece will dwell in the tents of Shem. That Greek will come to dwell in the tents of Hebrew. Now there's a kind of seam, uh, a kind of shifting in this Midrash. And we're going to have two ideas presented, each of which is very rich. Uh, the Midrash says, The Holy One, blessed be he, said, See that the language of the Torah is so precious that it heals the tongue. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to excerpt this Midrash to help us understand and appreciate its major messages in a, in a uh, clear fashion. The Midrash sets out to show various ways in which the language of Torah heals the tongue. And it emphasizes or develops this idea in two primary ways. First, it looks to a somewhat obscure and uh, difficult verse from Sefer Yechezkel from the book of Ezekiel, in which the verse says, all kinds of trees for food will grow up on both sides of the stream their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for terufa. Terufa is uh, one of these strange words in the Torah. We know it in modern Hebrew as medicine, but terufa is taf resh pei hey, not resh pei aleph. It's not related to uh, the word for uh, for for doctor or healing, litrufa. Uh, the verse is va'al hanachal ya'ale asfato mize umize v'haya pirio l'maachal v'alehu litrufa. So uh, interestingly, there is a Greek word that we use for words that uh, occur just once in the Hebrew Bible, a hapax legomenon, and uh, this is one of those. And um, the rabbis of the Midrash are trying to understand, understanding that tree, right, the tree will uh, uh all kinds of trees for food will grow up on both sides of the stream. Tree, of course, is related to Torah because Torah is called an Eitz Chaim. Uh, but how do we know it's healing for the tongue? Because the verse continues from Yechezkel, their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for terufa. So now the Midrash, in two different ways, seeks to understand the meaning of this hapax legomenon, this single occurrence of a Hebrew word, uh, of a word in the Hebrew Bible, litrufa. How do we understand this? So Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi were discussing this. And one of them said terufa means medicine from the Greek word terapion. We know, of course, the word therapy, which uh, derives from the same Greek 
word, terapion. So here it is, litrufa. And uh, Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, one of them says it means medicine and that we derive it from the Greek. But another of them said no. What it means, trufa, li trufa means lehatir peh. We use a rabbinic interpretive move, a hermeneutic, uh, called notarikon. And we take this difficult Hebrew word, litrufa, and we chop it in half, and we derive the meaning of the whole word on the basis of what two words are formed when you divide the word in half. So litrufa, says this other opinion, means lehatir peh, to loosen the mouth, meaning that anyone who is mute and eats the leaves from this tree, his tongue would be healed and he would become fluent immediately with the words of Torah. Now, what's fascinating about this is that both of these interpretations, both Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, are essentially relying on something Greek to unlock the meanings contained in the Torah itself. And they're relating it to the idea of how the Torah heals the tongue. So one method is to say, well, let's look to Greek. We don't know what the word litrufa means, but we know the word terapion in the Greek, and uh, and therefore we can derive what it means in uh, Sefer Yechezkel in the book of Ezekiel. The other says, let's take this method of dividing a word in half. The method itself is called by its Greek name, notarikon. So let's use this Greek interpretive method that we, the rabbis, have ourselves embraced to derive meaning from it. Uh, and then the Midrash goes on, and here's the link with our parasha. Rabbi Levi said, why must you learn it from another place? Meaning, why do you have to go all the way to the book of Ezekiel to learn about the way in which the Torah heals the tongue? Let us learn it from the Torah itself. Indeed, when Moses had not yet merited the Torah, it was written about him, I am not a man of words. But when Moses merited to receive the Torah, his tongue was healed and he began to speak words. How do we know this? From that which we read, Ela hadivarim asher diber Moshe. These are the words which Moses spoke. I love this Midrash. That it contains this idea that... Uh, it heals the tongue, and I think in both senses of the word tongue, uh, both in Hebrew and in English. On the one hand, it heals language. It heals non-Jewish languages by allowing Hebrew ideas to enter into them. Yaft Elohim layefet, vayishkon ba'ohle shem, that the, uh, that Yafet, the father of Greece, the father of Europe will enter into the tents of Shem. 
that there is a healing of non-Jewish languages by allowing Hebrew ideas to enter them, and there's a healing of Hebrew by allowing non-Hebrew words in. And at the same time, there is a healing of the tongue, tongue not in the sense of language, but tongue in a very literal sense, that the Midrash argues, the Midrash is really asking the question, how did Moses go from the man we met in Exodus who said, I can't speak very well, I'm not a man of words, to a leader capable of retelling the entire Torah over in Sefer Devarim? Torah heals the tongue, the Midrash says, before receiving the Torah, Moses was tongue-tied. After receiving Torah, he was a great orator. I think part of the message of this Midrash is that the deepest and richest way of speaking about what it means to be a human being and a Jew is the language of the Torah. Without the Torah, says the Midrash, we are mute. Torah gives us the language that allows for the fullest expression of who we are. And I'm thinking about this in light of the coming week. Uh, this Shabbat will be Shabbat Chazon, uh, the vision of the temple's destruction, and Tisha B'Av will occur in the week that follows, the anniversary of the destruction of the first and second temple. Uh, the rabbis say that the second temple was destroyed because of Sinat Chinam, because of baseless hatred, largely about the way we misused words. And many communities devote much of Tisha B'Av to an examination of Lashon Hara, of the ways in which we misuse language and words. So both the Midrash about Moses and the connection between Tisha B'Av and our words come to teach us that words can be used to build and inspire and words can be used to pave the way to destruction. And when we encounter the wisdom and beauty and profundity of the Torah, if we allow such encounters to transform us, if we allow them to impact who we are, then our words will have the capacity to heal, to teach, to share, and to enter into deeper relationships with others. Torah heals the tongue. And that process of healing is aided by translation, by the encounter with other languages. Sefer Devarim, viewed in this way as the first translation of the Torah, opens us up to extending the process of revelation each time the Torah is taught and interpreted, each time it is expressed with new language. Sefer Devarim is the world's original translation of Torah, Moses' translation, which sets into motion an expansive process that allows the Torah to heal the way we speak, to make us fluent and expressive, to give us the words that are healing for us and for the world in which we live. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts today. Be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem and visit elmod.pardes.org for other podcasts. Be sure to tune in next week as Tova Leah Nachmani discusses Parashat Va'et Nachan. Thanks for listening.